The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. Wait, did you hear that? Not falling for that. No, 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 I'm serious. Listen. Footsteps. Yeah. Lots of them. Oh my God! They're after us! They're after us! Who is? You people do it! Don't you stand it wrong! Come on! What the hell's going on? Get behind me. We'll have to fight our way out. Uh, uh, this is so not cool. There's no way this is real. NYPD, stop moving now. And stop pretending to be zombies. Welcome, everyone. It is Thursday, December 31st, 2020. I'm Bob Metz. I'm Robert Vaughn. And this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right wing. It's Just Right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. And welcome to the show today where Robert and I plan to be doing some brainstorming on how we can generate a great awakening about the Great Reset. And we're asking the question if something like that is even possible, given what we are learning about human nature throughout this whole COVID-19 pandemic. And we'll elaborate on that right after this reminder that you can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org, hear us on WBCQ and on Channel 292 Shortwave, follow and like us on your favorite podcast platform, and visit us at www.justrightmedia.org, where you can access all of Just Right's social media links and our archive broadcasts. As always, your financial support is appreciated and is what makes this show possible. And with that thought in mind, we'd like to extend our gratitude and appreciation to many of the people who do support us financially and who help make this show possible. Robert? Well, I have a list here of our financial contributors and in-kind contributors. And um, thank you to all of you. And I'll just go down the list. First names and last uh, initials, because, you know, we live in a bizarro world where people are being cancelled and killed for (laughs) standing up for freedom and individual rights and truth. But anyway, here you go at the risk of death. Bill B. (laughs) David B. Thank you. Paul B. And you know who you are, Paul. Thank you very much. Chris C. Todd D. Trevor D. Brian E. Earl G. Ted H. Troy K. Clifford K. Conrad L. Bjorn L. Conrad R. Diana R. Dennis N. Mike P. Jacob P. Nancy P. Gary P. Liam T. Murray and a big thank you and a shout out to both names Paul Lambert for your generous uh, funding of broadcasting just right on shortwave thank you Paul and Robert before we begin our discussion I guess we should update our listeners about a relatively big change that's been going on in your life over the past couple of months Oh, yeah. Moved to New Brunswick. Yeah. Got out of Ontario at um, Doug Ford's request. He asked me to leave. <laughs> Not personally, of course. <laughs> that, that evil monster actually said, if you don't like what I'm doing, we'll leave. Well, guess what, Dougie boy? I left. And I'm glad of it. Because um, you're terrible. You're a tyrant. 
Um, I'm, I'm sick and tired of you telling people that you're saving us by destroying us. I don't know how it is down here in New Brunswick, um, except for the fact that the premier here, Premier uh, Higgs, I've never seen her hide nor hair of him, really. Not, the, not to the extent that um, we see Doug Ford almost every day out there signaling his virtue, destroying people's lives, closing businesses, and um, all at the pretext of what uh, amounts to a, a bad cold. I wouldn't even say flu anymore. It amounts to a bad cold. Well, I know you. I know you had lives. to go through some weird restrictions just getting into New Brunswick because of this whole thing. And maybe you don't know yet. Maybe you've walked from the frying pan into the fire with your premier there. <laughs> you know, who knows what you'll find out yet? Oh, quite possibly. I mean, just just consider this so-called Atlantic bubble: New Brunswick, Nova Scotia, PEI, Newfoundland. Right. They have basically no cases, the so-called SARS-CoV-2 virus or the COVID disease. Um, who knows? Because, of course, the PCR test is garbage. Who knows? This is just such ludicrous nonsense. And for that, they shut down uh, the borders. We crossed the border, got up early in the morning in uh, Rivière-de-Loup in Quebec. Um, an hour later, we're in New Brunswick at a checkpoint. Had to show my papers. <laughs> Basically, I actually had to show my purchase agreement that, yeah, we bought a house here, we're moving here. Okay, fine. And then the guy gets out of his booth and says, but before he does that, he says, you know, I just want to um, uh, see your documents. I'm going to now leave my booth and approach your vehicle, right? And I go, okay, <laughs> buy me whatever you want. And so he gets out of his little tiny booth, his little kiosks, and walks a few feet towards my car. I mean, he must have stood about six, seven feet away to read the fine print on my purchase agreement that I actually bought a house here. And, um, you know, he's got a mask. I don't have, I don't have a mask on. Uh, he never mm. asked me to wear a mask. I wouldn't wear one anyways. I'm in my bloody car. And, um, yeah, so then he said, okay, now you're required to stay at home for two weeks. Basically house arrest. Um, and then, <laughs> it's actually quite comical. When we get here... Every day for two weeks, an automatic phone message comes on our phone, which we have to answer. And then it basically says, um, you said you were going to go to New Brunswick on this date. Did you go on that date? Say, you know, or press pound one for yes or pound two for no. And then it asks us, um, are you still self-quarantining? Do you have any symptoms and all this? You know, press one for yes, two for no. And this went on for 15 days, not 14, but 15 days. And of course, anybody could have answered the phone and done these automatic responses. We could have gone anywhere and done anything. It didn't matter. I mean, this is all for show. Um, it really means nothing. I think I actually have a recording of that, con that um, phone call. Maybe I, I'll give it to you, Bob. Maybe you can play it for, <laughs> play it for amusement. Yeah. But, um, and if you didn't answer the phone, then they would call again a few hours later. And if you didn't answer that, they would call again a few hours later. And, you know, because um, actually where I am is pretty crappy uh, cell phone reception, so sometimes I didn't get it. And, you know, so this is all a big bluff. The whole thing, a big bluff uh, for no real good reason. Anyway, here I am in New Brunswick. Um, it remains to be seen what the politics are here. Typically, the Atlantic uh, provinces of Canada have always voted strong liberal, or strong corruption, I should say. Um, they've typically been a handout uh, part of the country. Uh, not exactly sure why they would uh, 
be so reluctant to vote for any other party but the Liberal Party. But there you go. Well, um, I'm sure that I'm sure that's going to be a learning experience for you. <laughs> well, it is. But you know something? People are the same all over. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm from Newfoundland. First 25 years of my life in that mm -hmm. province. And that, they, the people down there have always had a hard time. Um, so they always voted for welfare. Uh, New Brunswick, not so much. It's been a pretty uh, poor province, I guess you would say. And um, I guess they're voting for welfare too. And it just becomes a habit. Same with PEI in Nova Scotia. Uh, always voting welfare. But then again, that doesn't explain why people in uh, any other uh, province in the country would vote uh, for such um, welfare status as uh, Trudeau. Now, of course, you know, here in Ontario, Doug Ford has launched his most recent lockdown that took effect on um, Boxing Day. And Ontarians were nevertheless advised not to get together with their families on Christmas Day. And of course, being the obedient person that I am, I was immediately set out on Christmas Day to be with my family. And Robert, I got to tell you, the streets were packed on Christmas Day. It was hard to Good. get around in the traffic. Clearly, no one was listening to Doug Ford on that one. It was just amazing how much traffic was out there, considering all the stores were closed and things like that. It was just remarkable. Well, that's good to hear, actually, that there's a lot of resistance out there to um, uh, the tyrannical dictates well, it, of uh, it that monster. It depends when and where you look. Like, on Monday, I went out, and it was quite the opposite. The streets were almost empty. It was like a ghost town, and everyone I saw was wearing masks, even in places where I never saw masks before. So obviously this whole propaganda campaign that is so heavily going on there, and they're telling us, you know, it's getting worse, is having an effect on people. And Robert, you and I were talking earlier about our views of other people, and you seem to have been telling me that you've kind of been drifting away from accepting most people as being naturally good and seeing them perhaps as a little more on the evil side based on how willingly they have accepted this whole COVID tyranny and even to some degree want more of it. Well yes and unfortunately this year has been quite a bit of an epiphany for most people I would say um, but for me in particular because I've always thought about politics um, since I've been a teenager I guess. I, as a matter of fact I remember when I was a teenager in the 70s thinking that politics is so um, uh, reprehensible to, to even think about. I would never want to get involved in it. But then um, you put out a pamphlet with the Freedom Party saying uh, maybe politics doesn't interest you, but politics is basically interested in you. And that is, um, that's the paraphrase, but that's absolutely true. You can't avoid um, the disgusting um, nature of politics and government and statists and politicians and rules and regulations and laws and everything that pervades our very existence. But when I was young, and we're talking late teens, early 20s, I was very much of the opinion that people are basically good. Boy, was I wrong. <laughs> I think 2020 basically sums it up. So I had this brief dalliance with libertarianism, and of course they have the fundamental philosophy that people are basically good, you don't need government, right? And uh, I, I say it was brief, because then I was introduced to Ayn Rand, and objectivism, and a rational basis for why we do need government, rules, regulations, to a degree, to protect people. Because while people are basically good, there are a few bad apples out there we have to protect ourselves from. And along comes 2020. 
Actually, I shouldn't say along comes 2020. I should say along comes World War II <laughs> and the election of an Adolf Hitler. But basically, from my own personal perspective, along comes 2020 and I, and I look around and I see, as you say, Bob, people wearing masks on the street by themselves. And I'm figuring to myself, these people are idiots. They're absolutely idiots. Um, I see people being stomped on in malls by security guards because they're not wearing a mask. I see um, paraplegics uh, being kicked out of uh, movie theaters. Um, disabled children being kicked out of... There was one I saw, I saw today, a disabled ch child being kicked out of a movie theater with her family because she couldn't wear a mask. She was disabled. She couldn't even speak. They kicked her out of the theater. And I'm thinking, are people basically good? Because I'm seeing an abundance of evidence that maybe they're not. And I'm thinking again to myself that who benefits from such heinous directions as that everybody has to wear a mask. Stores have to close down. People have to lose their livelihoods. People have to go on welfare. Who does that benefit? And then, of course, you and I being who we are over the last 35 years of knowing each other, know what this is all about. And it's been put into plain English with, by Klaus um, Schwab and uh, the Great Reset, or Agenda 21, or Agenda 30, or the World Economic Forum. It's all about the elites. It's all about a great communist takeover of the world. And before we start to think about conspiracy theorists, I'll take off my tinfoil hat now and hand it over to Bill Whittle. You know, for a while there, uh, for years now, actually, you'd wake up every day and check the news and say to yourself, what fresh hell is this? And now it's like, what legion of fresh hells is this? <laughs> So I want to read a quote for you from Thomas Sowell, and I want to explain to you why this is something you need to keep in mind, especially as the next years start to unfold. Uh, here's what uh, Thomas Sowell wrote back in 2004, because this is a timeless piece of wisdom. Quote, there's something Eric Hoffer said, intellectuals cannot operate at room temperature. There's always has to be a crisis, some terrible reason why their superior wisdom and virtue must be imposed on the unthinking masses. Doesn't matter what the crisis is. A hundred years ago, it was eugenics. At the time of the first Earth Day, a generation ago, the big scare was global cooling, a big ice age. They go from one to the other. It meets their psychological needs and gives them a reason for exercising their power. Now, if you've wondered why the whole COVID-19 thing seems to be so crazy erratic and no two opinions mean the same, Fauci says one thing one week, says something the other week, we hear advice from this guy, advice from that guy, why all of this is so nonsensical? You have to understand that this is not a rational basis, that these, that these elitists are not functioning from a rational place. They're not rational people. This is a psychological weakness that intellectuals have, and that's why they're intellectuals. The thing that has become clear to me um, is this. This is not about conservatives and liberals because I have seen some 
insanely dumb things done by conservatives. I've seen Republicans sell out in a heartbeat. So I'm past those definitions now. And that is that this thing is about the elites versus the people. And this is not just going on in America. This is worldwide. This is a worldwide revolution against the entire idea of self-governance on the part of a group of international elites that are fabulously wealthy and fabulously, incredibly enthralled to this idea that there must always be a crisis because without a crisis, the regular people will just go on about their lives and be happy and and have families and make money and enjoy themselves. And there won't be anything for me to do to show them just how smart I am and how far ahead of the curb I am and who wants to live in a miserable world like that, they say. The problem is not intellectuals. It's intellectuals whose ideas require political muscle to get them accomplished. There are a lot of people who look at the world the way it is. Like a true economist would really be studying the way networks of capital work and how people make decisions and interactions and how corporations can influence buying decisions and, and all of that kind of stuff. There's a difference, though, between description and prescription. The intellectuals who engage in description are trying to figure things out to observe the world as it is and try to understand how it works are different than the intellectuals who say, hey, now that we understand how that works, what if we tweak this knob over here and pull this lever down a little bit and pump that one up a little bit? Maybe we could get a different outcome. Um, So I, I don't have any beef with people who pursue the life of the mind, as they used to call it. I just want them to mind their own business. We'd better recognize real quick, these people cannot operate at room temperature. That means that unless there is a crisis, they will manufacture one. And if they have to manufacture one or five or whatever, they will use our natural ability to worry and to be in conflict that's built into the human system and use it against us and they have to be brought to heel. And they're not gonna go willingly. And they will not go quietly, Bob. Just ask Jeffrey Epstein, who did not kill himself, or ask the number of people who were personally involved with Hillary Clinton, who did not go quietly. These people are absolutely reprehensible. And you know something? Having come from a background of thinking people were basically good, I have to change my mind. I think people, people, especially these elites, these chosen, these anointed, are so evil that it, it, it's, it's almost incomprehensible. As a matter of fact, it is comprehensible. I cannot put my mind into their minds. When you go online and you find out what people are accusing them of, and you know something, an accusation here or there, a bit of evidence here or there, I dismiss. It's not overwhelming enough. It wasn't overwhelming enough to destroy my basic faith in humanity. But it is constant. The internet has basically created a great awakening for a lot of people. And that a great awakening is, as, as our good friend Salim Mansour would say in, in many of our shows and online on our YouTube channel, the elites are the problem, the globalist elites. Um, in Canada, the Laurentian elites, a group of thousands of people who are in such power and have such massive wealth, we're talking in the hundreds of millions to billions of dollars, that they are above the law, that they are untouchable, uh, their world is their play toy, they are easy to uh, please when they are in their own company, they consider themselves to be above everybody else, 
any of the laws and propositions that they come up with to control the world do not directly affect them. Uh, just as an example, oh, you got to wear a, a mask to get on a plane. <laughs> Don't care. I got my own plane. <laughs> you know, you can't go from one country to another without self-quarantining. Don't care. Um, I have uh, dispensation. I have diplomatic immunity. Or I own my own bloody island. I mean, give me a bloody break. These people are patently evil. I, I hesitate to call them human, but they are. And that is actually, as a student of psychology, important. Because if it happens to them that they can be turned, they can be turned into such evil monsters, then it is a fundamental flaw in humanity, I guess, that um, there but for the grace of God go all the rest of us. Look, you're talking about a certain type of person, a certain the kind of person a lot of people would regard as elites, but then there's the regular Joe normal around us as well. And these are two different conversations. It depends on one's knowledge. Do, do the people you're talking about actually understand the situation the way you and I do? Because they're acting on false information if they're actually into this stuff and they think they're doing good. And with the regular public, good and evil, I think a lot of that just boils down to courage versus fear. And sometimes a person acting out of fear may think that his response is a good one since it protects him and his family from something he fears. And if the thing he fears is real, then his fear is justified. But if the thing he fears is unreal, then he's behaving irrationally, even if he's unaware of it. And I think that comes from another ignorance that has been with us far longer than ignorance about viruses and COVID and all that. And that is this great epistemological tragedy when it comes to government. And that is to fail to realize that government is an instrument of force. And in a free society, that force is directed towards preserving and enshrining rights to life, liberty, and property, whereas in an unfree society, that force is directed towards violating our inalienable rights to life, liberty, and property and replacing them with a collective state control. And I think people who are capable of thinking that way and know that they are must be sociopaths because they have reduced other human beings besides themselves into mere objects subject to their will and choices. And that doesn't have to be an elite person who's rich. It could be the guy next door, right? Well, you know, your, your points are valid in that uh, there could be a number of different reasons why people behave badly. And by behaving badly, I mean supporting, for example, a Doug Ford or a Justin Trudeau or a um, Joe Biden. The thing is that it's like a vote is a, like a loaded gun. If I give you a loaded gun, I, I, I trust you to understand what it's there for. Ah, what are the consequences ah, if you, but, if but you hang, discharge but hang on it wrong? Hang on here. You're speaking to my very point. You say a vote is a loaded gun. In, in other words, you're, you're acknowledging that the government is a gun. But what if the person doesn't see his vote that way, doesn't even know that it's a bullet that's going into a gun, who just thinks he's doing his civic duty, who's picking well, maybe the lesser of three evils? Well, that's, that's, that's actually my point I was, I was getting to, is okay. that um, I hand a loaded gun to a child, they don't understand what it's for. They don't understand that it can kill. They don't understand that it can be used improperly. Give it to an adult, and unfortunately it seems to be the same way. 
Um, they don't understand the power that it has, they don't understand what it's for, and they don't understand that it can kill. Even with all these tyrannical, destructive laws and um, directives that have come down from Trudeau and Ford and all the other premiers in all the other provinces, most people would put them back in office, as a matter of fact, with overwhelming support. And you can think of that in two ways. You can think of that as, okay, they're, they're ignorant. They don't understand that they have inalienable rights that can't be taken away by government. Or um, they're ignorant in the, in the sense that they trust these people to protect our lives at the expense of our rights. But the thing is that they've just discharged their gun. Almost every leader in the bloody world these days is online with this great global communist reset. When they support them with their vote, they are basically shooting you. They're killing you. And, and, and that's almost quite literal. Thousands upon tens of thousands of people in this country have lost their livelihood because people voted for this kinds of nonsense. Even though you and I, for the last 35 years, have warned them, don't vote for them, don't support them, you know, um, they do anyway. Well, so, and yet, because they don't have any other choices. I mean, the only other choice you're giving them in the absence of, uh, like, a Freedom Party or a People's Party of Canada is to not vote at all. And that's well, that's a, always a, a valid option. It and is, for the one-third of the get... people who don't vote, or federally one-third of the people don't vote, uh, we can only guess at why they don't vote. The point is, though, the vast majority of people support the people who are in power, and even when they destroy their lives, they still support them. Listen, when I moved down here, my neighbor came over, said hello, great, great guy. Uh, uh, actually, when we were supposed to self-isolate, he went out and he bought some gasoline for us, for our generator. He bought some uh, eggs because we ran out of eggs. He plowed the driveway um, at the end of the driveway there for the mailman to come through. Great guy. Um, now, I don't know his, his politics, but hey, it it's, stands to reason that if I was to um, guess how he voted, I would say liberal, just based on where I am, mm -hmm. you know, or liberal or NDP, right? Perhaps conservative, but it doesn't matter. All those three parties are basically the same that we're learning. Now... On the one hand, in one situation, he's very helpful to his neighbor. In another situation, more removed from his neighbor, he is willing to sacrifice my rights, my freedom, my, perhaps even my livelihood or even my life for what he might think is the greater good. And so he votes liberal, NDP, or conservative. In the States, you might vote Democrat or even Republican. You know, and, and so I think that context has a lot to do with a, uh, the nature of a person being either good or evil. I think it's fundamental that people in general, and there are exceptions, people in general can be pure evil towards their fellow man. And they may not think it that way. They may think, oh, look, I'm doing this for your own good. You know, I must take away your restaurant business and destroy the livelihoods of all your employees for the greater good. And the greater good has always been the reason for a lot of evil that's gone on in the world. In, in 30, 1933 Germany, it was, listen, we're going to round up the Jews for your, your own good and for their own good. 
<laughs> it doesn't matter. People voted in Hitler. People supported him. They actually turned out in droves, in by the th- tens and hundreds of thousands, to support that man because, first of all, they were told that uh, there was a, uh, an existential fear for their own livelihood coming from the rest of the world because they had to pay reparations for World War I till the end of time. And it was all the Jews' fault. And so people bought into this fear-mongering, supported the guy who was pushing it, and um, we saw the consequences. The same is happening today. We have created these crises, as Bill Whittle talked about, specifically so that people, the anointed ones, the chosen ones, the elites in power, can do whatever they want to destroy life and humanity. And while that might sound hyperbolic, um, I've always talked on this show about how the left is a death cult. And I mean that most sincerely. The left throughout the last hundred years has killed uh, outright over a hundred million people. Of course, we heard Lord Christopher Monckton make that same point in 2012 as we played on the show last week. But when you talk about good and evil in political terms, I think you're really dealing with left and right. And you know, the key words missing from that conversation between Bill Whittle and Steve Green were the words philosophy and the subsidiary concepts of the polarity of left and right. You know, I was, it was funny listening to Bill Whittle talking about conservatives and liberals and saying, I'm past those definitions. You know why everybody's past those definitions? Because those words are no longer polarized. They're the same thing. And then he says, this is about elites against the people. Well, why has he identified that? Because that's where the polarity is. And we can see it. This idea that things shouldn't be polarized has always been a craw on my side. It's totally the opposite. You have to identify the polarization. Oh, absolutely true. Absolutely true, Bob. But in this particular case, when we describe the left, we're describing people like the Klaus Schwab's out there and the Joe Biden's and all the corrupt elites. Those are the people at the top, though. The people who support them. Those are the leftists as well, and they are in the tens of millions in the States. They are the millions in, in Canada. They support these elites. They gush over them. They fawn over them. They put them on pedestals. They absolutely ignore anything that they do which goes against what they believe. And there's a cognitive dissonance which makes them totally reticent to believe anything to the contrary, anything that might destroy their narrative. It's interesting you bring that up, but I wanted to make one other point about this left and right. You know, the distinction is not, as Steve Green properly observed, intellectuals as such, but intellectuals on the left, and he described them as people who prescribe rather than describe. And I don't think it's a psychological weakness that Bill Whittle cites. I think it's a philosophical weakness necessitating the use of force because of the fact that that philosophy does not coincide with reality. Everybody's looking for some kind of psychological angle. But those on the left, you know, they see what they consider to be an ideal. And then they seek to change man's nature to coincide with this imaginary ideal, all while ignoring man's nature. And that's exactly the process we're seeing under Agenda 21 and the Great Reset. It is an openly stated agenda to change the nature of human beings. Whereas a person identified on the right accepts 
mankind's nature and seeks to create a social system and, and a system of governance that concurs with that nature. And that requires a philosophy based on reality and reason. And I think that the idea that each person's life is an end in and of itself is not just lost on the left, but represents an altruistic philosophy in which the person who regards his own life as an end in itself is regarded as being selfish and therefore yes. must sacrifice his individual will and choices to the will of the collective, which always means some tyrannical individual or small group, you know, the elitists. We come back to the elitists, and it's their selfishness that all our altruistic sacrifices are expected to serve. This is the thing that infuriates me about that whole part of the conversation. And coming up next, this is from a site called Charisma on Demand. How to argue with someone who won't listen. It seems to be harder than ever to get through to people logically. The first thing that you need to realize is that people can fall into a pit that makes them impervious to reasoned argument. What pushes them into that pit is called cognitive dissonance. Cognitive dissonance is the state of having thoughts, actions, beliefs, or desires that are inconsistent with one another. Now, having one's own cognitive dissonance pointed out is uncomfortable. That's because there's often an unspoken cost to changing certain actions or opinions. The big takeaway is that sometimes, especially in politics, religion or emotional life choices, the most ridiculous belief that we have is the one that is most difficult to change. It's also why it's critical that you recognize cognitive dissonance if you're ever going to get through to those people. Because the worst thing that you can do in moments where people are deep in a cognitive dissonance shutdown is to continue with logical argument. That will just drive them deeper into irrationality. So here are seven tells that someone is going into a cognitive dissonance shutdown and you need to tread carefully. Keep in mind, that none of these are perfect indicators. So the first indicator is being stunned by new information without conceding or adjusting your perspective. But I repeat that that alone is not enough on its own, which is why you should pay attention for number two, being unable to accurately summarize the other side's perspective. And this is often preceded by, so you're saying. We see Ben Affleck do this in his conversation with Sam Harris when Sam is critical of aspects of the doctrine of Islam. We have been sold this meme of Islamophobia where every criticism of the doctrine of Islam gets conflated with bigotry toward Muslims as people. Right. You're saying that Islamophobia is not a real thing. The third tell is mind reading the other side's intent, especially when the intent is presumed to be nefarious. Ben Shapiro made this mistake in his conversation with Andrew Neal, assuming that Andrew must be on the left because he asked him pointed questions. Why don't you just say that you're on the left? Is this so hard for you? Why can't you just be honest? <laughs> Mr. Seriously, Shapiro, I, it's a serious question. Mr. Shapiro, if you only knew how ridiculous that statement is, you wouldn't have said it. So let's move on. Um, would you vote I for think Mr. Trump? it's pretty evident from your own questions exactly what you are. Trump? The fourth tell is regularly moving goalposts. It's of course okay to clarify your position, but if you notice that someone is regularly adjusting the criteria by which they judge an argument, you're likely witnessing cognitive dissonance. The fifth tell is yelling or getting angry, especially self-righteous anger. The sixth tell of cognitive dissonance is attacking someone's character instead of addressing their arguments, and it's often a sign in light of a losing argument. This is a last resort. 
and seven is retreating from a point without any concession. This is the least of a giveaway since there's often good reasons to move on in an argument. If you see two, three, or more of these signs, stop debating. Stop with logical arguments because they will not get you anywhere. You are in the midst of dangerous cognitive dissonance. Instead, your first order of business should be to re-establish rapport with the person you're communicating with. Good-natured jokes are especially effective because cognitive dissonance is like a shell that prevents new information from coming in. As long as you are perceived as a threat, the other person's shell will stay up. But if you signal that you're not a threat by making someone laugh, they will feel safe enough to finally open back up. Once the other side has opened back up, you're gonna have to employ three counterintuitive mindsets to finally get them to listen. First, demonstrate no superiority if they switch to your side. Second, do not force people to immediately live out their new values. Third, do not hold past inconsistencies against people. You're listening to Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. And Robert, we got a feedback from our regular contributor who goes by the anonymous name of Anon, because this person works inside a large hospital in Ontario on the front lines in the um, ICU units and in the emergency department. Anon had a very interesting anecdote to share with us. And here it goes, quote, We have a ward in the hospital on COVID outbreak, but there are no COVID patients admitted. Somehow, public health claims justification over the hospital ward and the outbreak isn't considered cleared until 14 days. I can't fathom the rationale for this kind of policy other than to deliberately create backlogs and bottlenecks and stir up unnecessary fear and anxiety. So now when we admit from ER, we have to tell patients they're going to an outbreak ward even though no COVID patients are there. Yet many would rather stay in ER. This backs up that department. It's so weird working at the hospital. It's like everyone recognizes the absurdity of what is happening, and yet they all speak out of both sides of their mouth. I was working with one doc, smart guy, who also works, and he mentions a large well-known hospital. He was lamenting Canada's stringent quarantine rules for travelers, but at the same time, he lamented the U.S. for not clamping down, quote-unquote, within minutes. People will make contradictory statements like that all the time. Just thought I'd share, end quote. What do you think of that one, Robert? Isn't that weird? Don't you run into that all the time? <laughs> it is. It's fascinating observation, especially coming from a nurse um, who, you know, becomes a personal observation. Yes. Um, when, when we were talking about cognitive dissonance and that clip brought it home to me, I, I studied psychology, of course, in university. I have a degree in, in it. Um, but by the way, I started a year studying physics, and I'm going, this is boring. <laughs> let, give me something that I don't understand or is not readily understood, and I went into psychology. And the, the classic um, example of cognitive dissonance was uh, a bird sitting on her eggs in a nest, and along comes a predator. Okay, so now, on one hand, the bird has an instinct to fight the predator, and on the other hand, the bird has an instinct to sit on her eggs. So what does she do? Well, it's been observed that she will tug vigorously at the ground in front of her, start ripping up the sod, ripping up the plants in front of her. And people were trying to, or psychologists were trying to explain this behavior, and, and they would call it cognitive dissonance. 
they're faced with two things that they can't resolve and so they do something um, completely different but in this particular case with the birds it had to do with a, a violent action against an, another um, object in this case it was the ground right instead of pecking at the intruder they would peck at the ground and not leave the nest so they sort of had their cake and eat it too type of thing but so what do we see with uh, with nurses in hospitals we see them now this is bizarre and it disgusts me but from a psychological point of view it sort of makes sense we see countless videos on TikTok and YouTube of nurses dancing in the vacant corridors of a hospital dancing and I'm thinking to myself well now there's a cognitive dissonance display and what would that mean I think it means that they would rather be running away but instead of running away <laughs> or, or trying to do their job or perhaps even tell people that look look this is nonsense there's no pandemic there's no crisis what do they do they dance they use the actions that one would take to run away from something and they channel it into a dissonant behavior of dancing in the corridors my god this is textbook <laughs> <laughs> and and i'm sure that uh, anon probably might uh, agree with me that this is nonsense the people out there are saying one thing doing another but it's all contextual too isn't it yes in the hospital um, they're obligated to behave a certain way out in public or with their family they're um, free to to say something different and, and as a matter of fact I knew an ICU nurse um, in London and uh, yeah she was basically on side with me in that <laughs> there's nobody there there's nobody there she had she treated five patients total with um, with the COVID in the ICU well, we're hearing, we're, we're hearing testimonies to that effect from coast to coast. We're seeing it on all the blog reports on Laura Lynn's show. So many doctors coming forth, you know, even on their own cognizance, you know, trying to alert the public to what's really going on in the hospitals. And the mainstream media and the politicians are doing everything possible to keep them from being heard. Oh, exactly. You know, I'd like to get into that clip you just played about cognitive dissonance. It was fascinating because... It, it spoke to how do you change people's minds or how do you identify a person who is reluctant to change their point of view, right? Mm -hmm. And I think he talked about Ben Affleck and, and, uh, and, and they, got, they started to talk loud and shout and argue and um, I, I'm, I'm reminded of that painting that if, if you look at some of the YouTube videos I've put together at my home, in the background is a picture of the School of Athens uh, by uh, Raphael. Hangs in the, in the Vatican. Well, I shouldn't say hangs. It's a, a fresco. Um, it's in the Vatican. And it depicts at the center Aristotle and Plato, the two greatest philosophers ever. In the center is Plato, and he's pointing up, indicating that there's more to life than existence or what we can see with our senses or, 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 or detect with our senses. There is an ethereal existence, a supernaturality. Aristotle, on the other hand, has his palm down, saying, look, all life on earth is knowable, um, existence exists, um, there's nothing supernatural about our nature, right? It's knowable and it is here. And those two competing 
philosophies, Plato, the teacher, and Aristotle, his student, have, over the last, what, 2,500 years, played themselves out into two camps. The Platonists, or the, uh, yeah, the Platonists, um, are the elites of today. The Joe Bidens, um, the religious, and anybody out there who may not um, think that there's more, who thinks that there is more to this life than, than there is evidence to our eyes. And so they are using that to control people. Aristotle, on the other hand, identifies the importance of the individual. And that philosophy, unfortunately, for about 1,500 years or so, was basically squashed by the church in Europe. And has only come through in the Enlightenment and the Renaissance and Industrial Revolution, where Aristotle's ideas have proven themselves to be more in tune with reality than Plato's. Now, if you ever want to understand the elites, you have to understand Plato and Aristotle. You have to get into those branches of philosophies that diverged 2,500 years ago. The people out there, the, um, like the Doug Ford saying, we're all in this together. We're doing this for everybody's good. That's Plato speaking. You and I are speaking Aristotle's language. That's right. And, you, and, and, you've, and you've also identified essentially the left and the right. You know, Plato being on the left with the primacy of consciousness and Aristotle representing the right with the primacy of existence. Exactly. And these are the key dividing points between everything left and right, good and evil, right and wrong, however you want to define it, up and down, inside, outside, you know. <laughs> There's your dividing points right there. Yeah, and if anybody wants to understand that, just go back to those two philosophers and understand where they came from. And you'll understand where everybody is coming from today, because every philosophy today has been a branch of those. Ayn Rand's objectivism, she freely admits that if she holds any indebtedness to any previous philosopher, it would be to Aristotle. Her philosophy of objectivism is Aristotelian. Everything else is Platonic. And that is why there's such uh, an animus towards the United States. It is the only country in the world, ironically created by elites, if you think about it, all the people who sat down to write the Constitution and um, Thomas Jefferson, the Declaration of Independence, all of these people were primarily Aristotelian or some sort of variant of that, with varying, you know, with varying degrees, of course. But they broke the mold of the elites. The elites were all about control. They were about stop it. It's all about the individual. Let's protect the individual. That is why the United States is mostly reviled by the rest of the world. They broke the mold. They are the only nation in the entire history of man that was created from the Aristotelian point of view, that the individual is worth something, that he is an end unto himself, and that the group is nothing but a group of individuals, and every single individual has to be protected, but not as a group as such, but as individuals. They broke the mold, these elites. Half of them died for their convictions, during the, uh, the War of Independence. But uh, that's where we are today. If you want to understand why Joe Biden won, it's because of the Platonics, uh, the Platonists who, who destroyed, and, and I think they have destroyed, uh, the United States. It is no longer the nation that we uh, grew up thinking that it was. And on January 20th, if Joe Biden is sworn in, you can, you can basically say that that was the death 
of the United States of America. And the Platonists won. <laughs> we'll be back after this. Hi, would you like to know how to be more obedient? <laughs> of course you would. It helps get rid of things like freedom, self-expression, and happiness. But being strictly obedient not only means you're contributing to a better world, it also gives you a life you'll enjoy living. So pay close attention so you can learn how to be more obedient. Think that the people controlling you are protecting you. You need to think that the people controlling you are doing so for your own good. That way you'll allow them to continue having power over you. It's the way any perpetrator wants their abuse victim to think. Wait for permission. Our records indicate that you had planned to travel to New Brunswick on November 28th, 2020 and have received direction to self-isolate until December 12, 2020. Did you travel to New Brunswick as planned on November 28, 2020? Press 1 followed by the pound key if you did travel as planned and press 2 followed by the pound key if you did not travel as planned. Thank you for your cooperation and doing your part to help keep New Brunswickers safe. Treat safety as your life's purpose. Instead of being brave, just live in denial that death is part of reality as you enjoy your passionate pursuit of safety. But just know you can eventually come out of the coffin of your comfort zone once there's no more death in the world. Because then it'll be safe. your health and safety of the others in your home, if you are experiencing symptoms or you develop symptoms, we strongly recommend that you use the self-assessment tool available online or call 811. If the symptoms are critical, call 911. To access the self-assessment tool, please visit www.gnb.ca. Select your language preference at the welcome page, then click on coronavirus near the top of the page and follow the instructions there. Thank you very much for your time today. We will be in regular touch for the duration of your 14-day self-isolation period, and we appreciate your continued responses to our calls during this time. As you suffocate your freedoms with the joy of obedience, you'll never have to wonder what it's like in North Korea, because you'll be living it. Enjoy being obedient. Well, Robert, I got an interesting feedback over the past week, and this was actually addressed to me from a Freedom Party supporter who does not live in Ontario at the moment, but is listening to our show and does follow Ontario politics and Freedom Party. And this is from Doug, and I quote, Permit me a moment to share my feelings. I live in Japan, where the government can't lock people down. But with each day that passes, I find myself more and more pulled in towards what's happening back home. Two days ago, I had a dream where I was on a hunger strike on the hill. Madness. I feel like it's my responsibility to do something, but I can't leave here either. This is occupying a large portion of my thoughts, even while I am in the midst of changing jobs here, which should be what I'm focusing on as it's taken me nine years to get to this point. Watching what has transpired around the world has been horrifying. But the last week or so, specifically in Ontario, has drawn out a particular feeling. In my first year of college, one of my friends was in a car crash. 
and I went to the hospital to see him. Unconscious, he was all connected to tubes, propped up by supports. Unable to do anything to help him, I thought that if I could have shielded his body with my own, I would have. If I could have taken on some of the damage he had incurred instead, I would have. We could share it and he'd be okay. Looking at Ontario today, I feel almost the same way I did back then, seeing the near lifeless body of my friend on that gurney. I say almost, because he tried to avoid the accident, but how many Canadians have now simply taken their hands off the wheel? I don't know what I can do from here, but even from here, I don't want to be one of those people. Thanks for listening. Doug, Japan. What do you think of that? Oh, thank you, Doug. It's, um, it brings home some of the trauma that a lot of people are talking about when it comes to this pandemic. And it's not because of the COVID. It's because of the lockdowns. It's because of the elites and the politicians. They've, sure. just done, they've done more damage and destruction than any bug could do. And uh, thank you, Doug, for that. Uh, first of all, he's living in a country where they, don't, where they aren't going through any of this stuff. Isn't that amazing that that exists, right? And here we are in the Anglosphere, all getting locked up. Well, of course, and that falls into what you were talking about on the last episode with Christopher Moncton, Agenda 21, further to that Agenda 30 and the World Economic Forum and Klaus Schwab. The West is the target of this pandemic. Um, But you have to look at um, how other countries are responding to this pandemic. There's a lot of them, like Japan out there, where there's virtually no so-called cases. There's virtually no deaths. Um, People aren't being locked down and self-isolating and all that. Where do you hear about all the problems? You hear about them in New Zealand, where you have basically a Hitler running that country, who got in, by the way, with overwhelming support by the people. Uh, 1933 all over again. Or Australia. Australia, you've played a few clips of the, the, the nonsense that's happening down in Australia. Or Canada, the United States, England, um, Western Europe. This whole pandemic, in, in my estimation, is targeted at the United States, targeted at Donald Trump, and uh, targeted at those countries who the elites have targeted as um, <laughs> worthy of a great reset. When you talk about the great reset, if you, I have not read Klaus Schwab's The Great Reset yet. I plan to. Um, But I have read Agenda 21 and parts of Agenda 30 enough to understand that the target of these documents, these proposals, is the West, in particular the United States. It has nothing to do with the world. It has nothing to do with the environment or health or anything like that. It is about the global communist reset of redistributing wealth from the West to the East, from the North to the South. Um, You see with the mass immigration from the South to the North, or from the East to the West. Um, It is an attempt, a very blatant attempt, by the way, to refigure, or in their words, reset the world into one global communist dictatorship. And the the thing that really strikes me, and it's, it's, it's rather funny, in a tragic sort of way, as most humor is, that it's not hidden. It's spelled out. People only have to go to the World Economic Forum's website. They only have to see 
their videos, their documents about what they're planning to do. They only have to read Agenda 21, which, which comes back from the 90s, or Agenda 30, to understand that, look, they're not pulling any surprises here. They're telling us specifically that in the future you will own nothing, and yet you will be happy. That's actually a quote from the World Economic Forum. <laughs> well, you know, I, I'm just, I just have a copy of the London Free Press from December 28th here in a column by Glenn Pearson, okay? Headline, COVID generation has chance to reshape the world. How wonderful, right? And in that he comments, all of us now have something in common that will forever define us as a group. COVID-19. I couldn't read anymore. That was it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you, know? you know, you bring home you bring home um, the foot soldiers, the brown shirts of our current great communist reset, are the media. The media oh, yeah. have been bought and paid for, and he's just one of them. You know, you've probably heard the joke, <laughs> where a patient is sitting in his doctor's office and asks him, "Doc, when is this pandemic going to end?" "How should I know?" replies the doctor. "I'm no politician." <laughs> exactly. And any great awakening now depends upon, and more, more and more people are saying this, upon the emergence of a legitimate media, a genuine fourth estate, one committed to reporting the truth, which is a journey that can only be embarked upon in an environment of free speech, and that's the important thing. And that new media will be comprised, I think, Robert, of shows like Just Right, in conjunction with the many, many other independent bloggers and YouTubers who have already demonstrated more journalistic integrity than what we've ever seen in the mainstream media of late, you know? True, true. So, anything else you want to bring to our to people's attention before we wrap up? Well, only one thought, Bob, and that is that um, watch your back. Watch your back. I think if anything that we've learned in this last year, if not for the last 2,500 years, is that people like you and I and some of the people that we've been playing on this show, um, we're taking a great risk here. We're taking a great risk. We're like the Seth Riches of the world. One day, somebody's going to shoot us in the back of the head while we walk across the street, and the, the police will say it was robbery, even though you've still got your Rolex watch on. It's, yeah. it's that bad. Yeah. Um, well, I wouldn't have thought, and just to go back to what we started off the show with, the nature of humanity and government and people, um, I never would have thought that um, governments and our, our politicians could be so evil. And um, I was naive. I mean, just look at the governments over the last hundred years, destroying the lives, actually killing a hundred million people plus. Um, to kill you and me and um, those people that we play on this show um, <laughs> overnight, um, driving us off the road, whatever, it doesn't have to be a bullet in the back of the head, uh, is a distinct possibility, the way that things are going. But nevertheless, you know, the word's got to get out, and, and now's our opportunity. And of course, uh, we have made it part of our mission to bring many of the other people and sources of accurate information to the public's attention, even though a lot of them don't know we're doing so. So I hope, you know, that they don't get tracked down by the authorities because of us. <laughs> <laughs> And anyways, Robert, that's one of the missions we intend to continue as we head into the agenda year of 2021. Except that we have our own agenda, and that's to keep the conversation moving in the right direction. So be sure to join us again next year when we will continue our journey in the right direction. And until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, 
and be right back here. We'll see you then. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. Tess, that's what we wanted the, the whole time, just Tess. Now we got them, and everybody's like, there's more cases! <laughs> it's like, yeah, there's more tests. <laughs> I guess. Like I didn't have any STDs and then I went and got tested for STDs. <laughs>